This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. As soon as I let go of those hill brakes, I was essentially committed to flying and the plane rolled and initially just caught on those brakes and flipped me right over. Welcome to another edition of There I Was, a podcast where we put you in the cockpit with pilots in demanding situations where we learn how they flew out of them. I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Today's guest is all the way from South Africa. Thomas Marrow has been flying since he was 21 years old. He's got about 200 hours and he flies a sling and most recently, a kit plane for Africa Safari. Think of it as kind of like a kit fox, but a little bit bigger. Thomas flies out of Johannesburg and flies all over the South Africa backcountry. Thomas, welcome to the There I Was podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Thomas, I was surfing the uh, internet the other day on YouTube and I came across your video and watched a bunch of them, some of the stunning footage that you show in, in and around South Africa. It just sounds like stunning flying. But the one that got my attention, of course, was the one that you threw out for that purpose to get pilots' attention about an incident you had flying in your kit plane for Africa Safari. Do you mind sharing that story with us and some of your lessons learned? Of course. Um, I think we should probably start from the very beginning because obviously these sorts of events unfold over a period of time but essentially what i do is we do fly backcountry style sort of aviation in south africa the ruling here is a little bit different and this sort of ties into how this all happened as well but essentially what i i have a youtube channel in which we post all of our flying adventures and all sorts of things from flying my plane to flying in aerobatic aircraft and all sorts of stuff like that tell us the name of your youtube channel please so the name of my YouTube channel is just my name, which is Thomas Marrow. It sort of has evolved into something that's separate from my channel now as well, but a, a new sort of series which we released on South African television. It's called uh, Stick and Rudder. Um, so we're doing lots and lots of stuff with aviation and essentially trying to boost the general aviation fraternity within South Africa, which is sort of on a, a slow decline. I'm sorry to hear that because you're, it just seems like an incredible place to fly. Some of the footage that you've uh, posted there is just amazing. So, um, so great. Uh, so for our listeners, check out his channel. It's some really, really stunning footage. So I'm sorry, Thomas, I interrupted you. You were saying? Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll get into the prop strike part of things now. And essentially 
what happened is we we were out on that day filming a YouTube video. Um, and essentially what I used to do is film YouTube videos on my own, but I got so inundated with trying to fly the aircraft and then trying to make a, a video at the same time that, you know, it just wasn't going to work for me anymore and I didn't feel safe doing it. Uh, so at the beginning of this year, I actually hired a, a filmmaker who works full-time in the industry to help me create my videos. Uh, his name is Travis von Staden. Absolutely brilliant at what he does but essentially that day we left to do a a normal video in fact the night before we were looking all over the place on google earth and asking people for a a slightly more sort of challenging strip that we had never been to before and i suppose this is how it all (laughs) starts to unfold but we eventually found a strip probably call it 45 minutes away from where my aircraft is based out in a region called the Michalisberg, which is an absolutely stunning area of Johannesburg in South Africa. Anyway, we arrived at this, this strip, which we thought was going to be you know, fairly short and fairly challenging. It ended up being an 800 meter long strip with a slight gradient to it and probably call it 20 meters wide, something like that. So initially, you know, our plan was to go there and film this great video about how to get into shorter, more challenging sort of strips. And then we arrived at this this big strip. Yeah, I was going to say, so it, it, that's roughly, you know, 2,500 feet. Exactly, yeah. By 60 feet, yeah. So which, especially for a kit plane, really is, yeah. is massive strip, right? So plenty of room. Yeah, exactly. And what kind of density altitude is the field at? So up here in Johannesburg, we're sitting at about 5,000 feet above sea level. Okay. It was coming into summer, so I'd say the the temperature that day, we're probably looking at about between 25 and 30 degrees Celsius. Okay. I'm not too sure what that would be in Fahrenheit, but uh, 25 to 30 degrees Celsius. So it was a fairly hot day and we were at high altitude. So you're probably looking, call it between six and 7,000 feet density altitude. Okay. But still plenty of performance room for a, a kit plane. Of course. So yeah. my plane is fitted with the Rotax 915 engine, which is a turbocharged 141 horsepower. So it's got more than enough power for the weight that it's pulling. Um, and it also creates 100% horsepower all the way up until 15,000. So in terms of a performance aspect, it wasn't really much of an issue for my aircraft. Okay. But yeah. what's interesting, it was a little bit different than what you thought. You thought you were going to go into this really small and tight strip, and you got there, and you thought, oh, look at this. Exactly. It's wide open. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this is where my brain sort of kicked into, oh, we need to make a video here, and we've got this strip, which we didn't realize was going to be as big. So how are we going to create this feeling that we're on a shorter strip, more challenging strip, and therefore, my brain is starting to think, well, I need to do, you know, what would you say? You would say more confident things, uh, more positive sort of reactions on controls to make it all look like it was a more challenging strip on the video. And this is where my brain and this is where I let my brain get away from me and start thinking about something else rather than the flying. So I could imagine that that was the first hole in in the Swiss cheese sort of model when when it comes to things like this. Mm, interesting. Okay, so you came around and landed uneventfully. Yep. Yeah. So we got into the strip, and it's um, you know really well maintained. It's actually a, a private strip. So out here in South Africa, 
Uh, we don't have as much freedom as you would have in the US where you're able to land on public land and not have anyone say anything about it. Whereas in South Africa, we have to land on a demarcated strip. Um, we can land on a private strip as long as we've got permission from the landowner, which in this case we did. So essentially we landed on the strip and then we took a little walk around uh, some fairly high grass on the side of the strip. And essentially now what we needed to do is come up with an idea of how we're going to film this video, which we had planned to do. So essentially Travis, what he would do on every other video is jump out of the aircraft and pick up the camera and essentially film us flying around and doing what we do to a point where I was sitting in the aircraft on this downhill slope, um, the slight gradient to this runway. Uh, we had a, a fairly reasonable headwind coming into us and Travis was getting into a different position. Whilst he was trying to get into a different position, I thought, well, I'm on this downhill slope. I don't want to sit here for another you know, two or three minutes while Travis does his thing with my feet on the brakes. So let me put my handbrake on, which I never, ever do. I mean, handbrake, park brake, I think is the better term for it. A park brake should be used when the aircraft is parked and not being operated. Um, and I obviously learned that <laughs> a very hard way. So essentially, I applied this, this park brake to wait for Travis to get into position to film the whole thing, hence why we had all these different angles on this entire video of how this all happened. And then once he was ready, he had a handheld radio with him. Once he was ready and in position, um, I then went to take off. And without even realizing, you know, my aircraft, the tail tends to come up almost immediately before it even rolls. But the weirdest thing is, is that the engine has all this power and it's actually able to pull through the brakes initially. So the wheels started rolling and all I thought was I can take my feet off the, the, the hill brakes now and let this plane run. As soon as I let go of those hill brakes, I was essentially committed to flying and the plane rolled and initially just caught on those brakes and flipped me right over. And it's... It was at a high power. I only realized I was going over way too late. Um, and as soon as I did realize, there was absolutely nothing I could do to save it from going over on its nose. Yeah, it's a, uh, watching it and knowing because you set it up as a, as a prop strike. So knowing what's coming, it's, it's sickening just watching it because you see it coming. And I can imagine what it felt like at some point you realized yeah. you were going over and there was nothing you could do about it at that point. Exactly. Yeah, and that, that feeling and the, the time when you do realize and you know you can't do anything about it, it feels like it's taking a lifetime for anything to happen. Uh, even though it was all very quick at the moment, when you're sitting in that seat and you're watching your nose go towards the ground, it's honestly the, the worst feeling you can have. Hey, listeners, do you love aviation? Did you know that general aviation contributes billions to the U.S. economy every year and is a vital pipeline for military and commercial pilot force? AOPA works to ensure the vitality of the aviation industry and supports our freedom to fly. Join us and become a member now at AOPA.org. You'll become part of a worldwide community of aviation enthusiasts. We'd love to have you. Find out more at AOPA.org. Yeah, I have a friend who reported the same kind of thing. He was uh, flying his 185 and, and landed and 
you know, the the brakes were applied too heavily. Yeah. And uh, his his uh, airplane started going over. And he said the same thing. At some point, it just felt like slow motion. And it was kind of a sickening watching of what he knew was going to happen. Exactly. So, you know, you brought up some good lessons learned here that I think are happening more and more in general aviation in just terms of some of the dynamics that are flying. And the first one is the distraction that can be caused by videos and by the GoPro cameras that we all use and sometimes videoing with our camera. Can't tell you how many different stories I've heard of people saying, you know, this or that happened because I got distracted working my cameras. Exactly. And um, I know of a very similar incident where it's, it's eerily similar. We were at a grass strip and we were going to fly out for the morning. We had camped and uh, we got up early in the morning. We we're going to fly over to somewhere to a paved strip and, and have lunch. And somebody with us was, uh, I was the first one to take off, somebody with us had some GoPro cameras and wanted to capture capture it all. And right as he sees me take off, he thinks, oh, I didn't, I didn't turn my cameras on. He sets his parking brake so he can fiddle with his cameras, fiddles with his cameras. And then he thinks, oh, no, I'm too far behind, adds power, and the airplane takes off uh, because it's slightly downhill. The grass was moist, like your airplane. It's got a lot of power for power-to-weight ratio. Yep. I, if I remember right, I think he was in a Husky. And uh, like 200, 210 horsepower Husky. And so uneventful, right? He, he, and then we go land at the paved strip. And when we land, he lands right behind me. And the tower says, hey, uh, Super Cub, your, your wingman just ground looped. And I look over my shoulder. And sure enough, you know, he ground looped in a, in a bad way, dinged his, dinged his wing and his prop and everything else. And it took him until we all got out. We're moving his airplane off the runway. And he still didn't. He said, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. And we couldn't roll the airplane very easily trying to get off the runway. And in, and somebody said, hey, is your parking brake set? And he goes, oh, my God. And it was only at that point that he realized that he had set his parking brake and forgot about it. Yep. Didn't make a difference on wet grass going downhill because he had enough power. But, you know, on a paved runway, you know, it caused a real incident there. And it was a similar thing as yours in that he said, I never used that parking brake. I never set that parking brake. No. And... He did. It was out of his habit pattern, wasn't something he was used to checking. And it sounds like that's very similar to what was happening with you. That's the epitome of exactly what happened to me. It was the same thing with me when I was trying to think what actually went wrong there. Why did the plane go over on its nose? And it was only, you know, after I'd called the guy um, who manufactures these aircraft to come and help me, you know, get the aircraft back and all that sort of stuff. And I told him, I was like, the the brakes must have locked. Something happened. And then he says, why don't you just check your parking brake? Pick my head into the plane again, and there the parking brake was set. And I had no idea even to think about that before he had even told me. Yeah, because I remember on the video, you said that, you know, as it goes over, you get out and you say, my brakes grabbed, my brakes locked up. Yeah. That was your your first thought in, in your reaction. Yeah, and that just proves how I, even after the fact, I'm not even thinking about that park break. And it's a, it's a scary thing. That needs to now be ingrained in my mind as a you know, before takeoff checklist to make sure that that parking brake is definitely off. Yeah, and then this, the scary notion, like in your case, it happened right on takeoff. In the case of uh, my friend that I was flying with, just because 
the Swiss cheese model, right? Everything lined up perfectly. Yep. It was early morning. The grass was wet. We were taking off downhill. He was able to take off and not realize it until, yep. you know, he hit the pavement. Exactly. So it just, it just goes to reinforce it. Anything that's out of your normal habit pattern that seems so innocuous, anything can, yep. can cause you a problem. And you have to think when... Um, I have a friend who he flies a Navion with tip tanks, and those tip tanks can be problematic because you have to manually yeah. feed those tip tanks. And so every time he's feeding the tip tanks, it's, it's you know, something unusual. He takes yeah. off a, a, a flying glove, or he takes a flying glove out of his, you know, pocket, seat pocket, and he sticks it on his yoke. And he sticks it on the side of the yoke to what he's feeding from. So he can't avoid this, what's this glove doing on my yoke, right? <laughs> to remind exactly, him yeah. that he's doing something out of the ordinary. Yeah, so yeah. I've had, you know, thoughts of installing a light which was activated once the park brake is on and, you know, all these sorts of things. But I, I think the, the most simple sort of method to overcome something like this is have in the back of your mind that, I should never ever use that park brake unless I'm going to park my aircraft. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. T- tough lesson learned. Can we go back a little bit to? I thought you made a really interesting decision that you were distracted by trying to make good quality videos while you're flying, and at some point you realize, hey, this is too much distraction. This is this is going to get dangerous at some point. Talk to yep. us about that decision to now sort of give up that and bring along a videographer instead of trying to do that all single pilot. Yeah, so there's sort of two sides to this this story. Essentially, when I first started making videos, it was purely for, you know, I want to look back in 10, 15, 20 years time at all the things that I did in, with regards to, to aviation. But then at the same time, it got to a stage where I was thinking, you know, I could actually start entertaining people, informing people, and, you know, get more serious about this sort of thing, you know, which brought to my attention where, you know, I'm holding this camera while I'm trying to fly an aircraft, you know, and don't get me wrong about cameras, we'll get onto the good side of them just now. But when I'm thinking about a camera, in that period of time, I'm not thinking about an airplane. And it's sort of hard to multitask between the two things because they are two completely, you know, different things. You're using two different sides of your brain to focus on either a camera or flying an aircraft. So I thought the best idea would be to get someone involved in terms of a safety aspect. The nice thing about Travis is he is a a pilot as well. Um, He's in fact going right through to get his commercial license. Um, so essentially, it was good to have him there as a second pilot when he's not operating a, operating a camera, but also another good thing where when he is operating the camera, I can focus solely on flying that aircraft and he can handle all the camera stuff. So in terms of a better quality, better entertainment value, that sort of things, we check that box. And also in terms of a safety thing, at least as much as we could, we check that box as well. So it, it, I would highly recommend anyone who's going to go out and do things like this is, you know, allocate all your brain power to someone else with regards to entertainment and cameras and all that sort of stuff. But if you're piloting that aircraft, if you PIC on that day, your mind should be completely and fully on that aircraft. 
Yeah, it it can be a source of distractions. It's so much so, I used to fly um, for the Air Force, and the Air Force uh, didn't allow cameras in the cockpit. Yeah. And it was for that reason. There were too many hard lessons learned about the distraction that a camera can cause and, you know, the different viewpoints as you're looking through a camera as opposed to seeing the real perspective. And so, you know, I, I certainly don't, uh, you know, recommend that we take that posture for general aviation, but it serves as a, a good indicator, right? If these guys who fly for a living and do it every day yeah. say it's much safer to just not even bring the camera in the cockpit, then it can just be a marker for us of how distracting it can be if we're not careful with it. Of course. But then you, you get a different side to the whole thing as well. Um, and I, I want to go back to where I say, you know, our sort of purpose in doing all these sorts of things is to grow general aviation, especially in South Africa, where unfortunately we are seeing a, a decline um, where the pilots are getting older, where we're not really pushing any younger pilots into the uh, ecosystem. So I feel that that is where a, a camera does really help to drive that sort of positivity towards general aviation, to drive the accessibility into general aviation. And it, I feel that needs to be done in order to keep general aviation alive, especially in an in area where I'm from. Yeah, I agree with you. And we've had a similar resurgence here in the U.S. with the proliferation of uh, GoPro cameras and, e and even iPhones and how easy it is for people to upload things to YouTube and show the excitement and the adventure and what they're doing. It's captivated a lot of people here, and it's helped in a resurgence in general aviation in this country and even bringing in kind of new faces in general aviation, um, exciting younger people because of the because of the adventure that general aviation can bring. Yeah. And so I, I'm with you. It brings a lot of positive for us. It's just another one of those things that reminds us that as the pilot in command, it's an added level of responsibility to, to figure out how to use it appropriately, right, in the right way. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, yeah. I, I just I don't want to let you go without talking a little bit about flying in South Africa. I just I just can't imagine that to be in some of the footage you show just seems uh, so incredible. So so tell us what you mentioned. It's not very it's not a very large community over there, but it sounds like there's a lot of kind of outback or, or bush backcountry type flying. Yeah, so in South Africa, we don't have the nice luxuries of having a, an airport every five to ten miles. So in here, we sort of have to make do what, with what we've got. We have a few, I mean, in terms of sort of class Bravo um, airports, I think we've got maybe four of those in the whole of the country. And then the normal sort of airports, which are towered, uh, so class Charlie airports, maybe three or four the rest of the stuff is all unmanned sort of aviation and uh, most of the time it sort of especially with my type of aviation with the backcountry type stuff it's us going to private strips where as i was as i mentioned before we can't just land anywhere we need prior permission from the landowner before we can actually land there so it's the hardest thing about flying here is actually getting the contact details, the contact information of the people that own these strips in order to actually go there. Mm. So it makes it difficult for us in that respect. But on, on the other side of the coin is that it makes it super exciting. It's super adventurous. You don't ever really know what you're going to get. 
you know, in, in terms of a safety side, it's an added risk, but we will do all the planning that we need to do for things like that. And just flying in South Africa in general is, it's very quiet, as you'd imagine, compared to the US. Um, so you can essentially go anywhere in the country without infringing on airspace, really. It, most of the stuff here is is unmanned stuff. And I mean, we've got, just like you'd have in the US, we've got beautiful, beautiful coastal regions. We've got some amazing inland regions as well with the, the African bush and all the big five and the animals and things like that. And then to the western side of the country, we've also got big expanses of desert and really dry, arid areas. So we've we basically got a variety of different areas that we can fly in here. But another sort of problem with all of that is that because we only know very few people's contact details to get into these trips, so that often your trips turn out to be very long trips. Uh, you can't just, you know, go for the $100 hamburger, whereas in South Africa, it's more like a $1,000 hamburger, if you get, up, get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's there's lots of adventure out here, and not just South Africa. We're going into Namibia, going into Zimbabwe and Mozambique and places like that are also super, super beautiful. Come with their own challenges, but extremely beautiful place to fly. And the weather is just absolutely stunning all the time. So how about those game reserves? Are you able to fly over those? Are there altitude restrictions? I can imagine some of the wildlife, yeah, the potential to see there is incredible. Yep. So there's um, a difference between national parks and game reserves here. Uh, so we have what we call national parks, which are government-owned parks. Uh, and essentially, the altitude restrictions there are 2,000 feet above those parks. But then when you talk about game reserves, normally those are privately owned farms, if you want to call it that. And essentially, they'll have all the animals there. And most of those places have their own uh, bush strip. And often it's purely just phoning the lodge and getting permission from them to land there. So most of our trips would be planned to those sorts of lodges because the accessibility there is quite a lot easier. But I mean, yeah, the, that experience is unbelievable. And going into a lodge, staying there the night. I mean, these are beautiful, beautiful lodges. You know, going on game drives, seeing the big five, your lions, your elephants, your rhinos, all that sort of stuff, and then jumping back in your plane and, and flying home. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't think you could have a similar experience anywhere else in the world, really. Yeah, that just must be stunning. What an adventure that would be. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll trade you. You come fly here with me a little bit, and then I'll go over to South Africa, and you can show me around a little bit. We'll fly into some of those places. How's that? I'd love that. That would be great. <laughs> I mean, anything different from here is great. It's a, a vice versa type of thing. I'd love to fly in the U.S., um, all the sort of camaraderie that you have around general aviation is just something that appeals to me so much, uh, and I'd, I'd love to go flying out there sometime. Yeah, I'd, I'd love for you to do it, and you're right. A big part of the enjoyment here is we, we do have such a great community of general aviation pilots, and it's, it's part of the fun. Aside yeah. from the flying, the yeah. the camaraderie and the friendships that you make are, are, uh, are really part of it. Of course. Well, Thomas... Thanks so much for sharing your story with us. I'm sorry about your uh, prop strike, but I also wanted to thank you for having the courage to release that publicly and just own up to your mistake and share with us how you made the mistake so that we can all learn and 
for the, for those of us who've flown for a while, you know, if you fly if you fly for a while and you and you take adventure and you kind of push your boundaries to become a better pilot, occasionally you do stupid things, and fortunately, most of the time we get away with it. But I love learning from people people like you that are willing to share their story. Yeah, no, I, it's I think it's the best thing to do in situations like this. If people can learn from my mistake, hopefully, I'm preventing other people from having the same thing happen to them. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time and thanks for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, man, doesn't that sound like some exciting flying in South Africa in a kit plane, wide open, flying across that uh, magnificent country and viewing the wildlife like that? That's got to be fantastic. Sure enjoyed Thomas's story. And the two big lessons learned that came out of that is just all of us being careful, and we all do it, and we all should do it. There's great things that come out of us uh, capturing all this video, whether it's you know with our cell phones or with our uh, GoPros. We have to be so careful, though, not to let that distract us into mistakes. And I have heard of this you know, happening a few times where the camera or the phone was the cause of distraction that led to the accident. So it's kind of incumbent on all of us to think about the times that we will use it, the times that we will fiddle with it, and the times that we won't. The idea of a, a sanitized cockpit once you get into you know a certain region below a certain altitude into a certain pattern is probably a, a good rule of thumb. And then the second one is anything that we do out of the ordinary and realize it can come to come back to, to bite us. In a moment, he realized he wanted to set his parking brake at something he never does. And sure enough, when he goes to take off and everything's ready, it's just not in his cross check. And so for him, it was the parking brake. For my friend flying the Navion, he's very careful about his tip tanks. And so I think a good best practice is anytime you take any step outside of your normal habit flow or outside of your normal pattern, do something. Set a switch, put a glove on your yoke, put something on your dash, do something that gets your attention that you can't avoid not looking at to where every time you look at it, you realize, what is that doing there? Oh, that's right. I'm still running that tip tank. Or, oh, that's right. I'm still, I've still got my parking brake set or whatever the case is. So we're thankful that Thomas shared his story with us. Thanks for joining us on this edition of There I Was. Alongside our producer, David O'Leary, I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Fly safe. There I Was is produced by the AOPA Air Safety Institute. If you'd like to hear other episodes, submit comments, or submit your own story to potentially be featured on the show, please visit airsafetyinstitute.org slash there I was. Thanks for listening.